the sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The twilight beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we have two stories of man versus nature that were later adapted for the silver screen. As humankind has risen from its primitive beginnings to become the dominant form of life on our planet, we often like to think we have conquered nature and bent it to our will. However, we are always one misstep away from being at the mercy of nature again. Sometimes, when we least expect it, circumstances have a way of reminding us of one simple fact. Even the world's apex predator can easily become prey. Our first story tonight is Line Engine vs. the Ants, from Escape, on January 14, 1948. Escape was a CBS radio program from 1947 to 1954. It was primarily an adventure and mystery-themed program with occasional supernatural or science fiction stories. Line Engine vs. the Ants is set in Brazil. The title character refuses to abandon his plantation in the face of a massive swarm of giant ants. Once the ants arrive, it is too late to leave, and what starts as a defense of the crops soon becomes a fight for survival. Line Engine is voiced by William Conrad. He was a frequent lead actor on Escape. A World War II fighter pilot, he later became a star of radio, TV, and movies for over four decades. This story was adapted into a motion picture in 1954, renamed The Naked Jungle. In that version, Charlton Heston starred as Line Engine, and William Conrad, who voiced Line Engine in this radio production, also appeared in a supporting role as the Commissioner. And now, Line Engine vs. the Ants, as heard on Escape in January of 1948. You are isolated on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle, and an immense army of ravenous ants is closing in on you, swarming in to eat you alive. A deadly black army from which there is no escape. Escape. Produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the Amazon jungle and to a creeping, crawling terror, as Carl Stevenson told it in his gripping story, Linogen versus the Ants. I 
first met Lanningen while performing my duty as district commissioner. As my boat neared his plantation landing, I saw him upon the riverbank, regarding me with mild interest. A great hulk of a man with bristling gray hair, bulky nose, and pale eyes. His entire appearance somehow suggested an aging and shabby eagle. He escorted me to the terrace and had a drink brought. I came quickly to the point of my visit and issued my warning. Leiningen puffed placidly at a huge cigar and listened as I told him, unless they alter their course and there's no reason why they should, they'll reach your plantation in two days at the latest. Uh-huh. Well, it was decent of you paddling all this way just to give me the tip. Tip? Commissioner, even a herd of crocodiles couldn't drive me from this plantation of mine. But these aren't creatures you can fight. They're, they're an elemental force, a gigantic catastrophe. Ten miles long, two miles wide, ants, nothing but ants, and each one as big as your thumb, and each of them a fiend from hell. Unless you clear out at once, there'll be nothing left of you but a skeleton picked as clean as your own plantation will be. I'm not getting out. But you can't fight. Yes, I can. I've got the best weapon there is, Commissioner. Intelligence. But can't I make you understand the hideous... I think it is you who do not understand... In the three years I've been here, I've met and defeated more than one catastrophe. Flood, drought, the plague. Events which caused many of my neighbors to flee for their lives. No, Commissioner, all my life I have lived with one creed. The human brain needs only to become fully aware of its powers to conquer even the elements. Leinenchen, your obstinacy is endangering not only your own life, but the lives of your workers and their families. You don't know these ants. I tell you, you don't know these ants. But Leinenjen merely sat there puffing at his cigar and regarding me with a smug grin, and I knew it was hopeless. As I boarded my launch and cast off, I realized I'd never met a man like that. And I could not I help, help wondering, wondering what about the strange look in the commissioner's eyes as he boarded his launch and cast off. Undoubtedly, he thought me insane. <laughs> well, he would not have been the first to think so. But I, Leinenchen, knew my own powers. I was sure of myself. I knew that intelligence directed aright always makes man the master of his fate. That night, I called my Indian workers together in front of the plantation house. I saw their faces go ashen with terror as I told them that the ants were coming. Watched them as they milled around, muttering. I said nothing more to them. Finally, one of the men stepped forward. Blas, the foreman. Uh, Patron, we have worked hard here for these three years. Uh, All of us. We have built the finest plantation in this district. We all share in it. It has been a home for all of us and our families. Now the ants come. So? Uh, Those ditches we dug last year, the pipe we put in the ground, that was for the ants? Yes, that was for the ants. If we moved our families across the river, the ants could not reach them? Yes, that's right. And you? The ants are mighty. We know what they can do. All of us think that you are mighty. Patron, we will stay with you and 
fight against the ants. I knew that the men would give me that answer. I counted on it. I thought of the commissioner and wondered what he would say in such unquestioning confidence. Would he still think I was insane? Or had he dismissed it out of my mind? One man who calmly evaluated his chances against a deadly menace coolly decided he could win and was willing to stake his life on it, to risk a horrible death for it. It was terrifying, and yet it was fascinating. The next morning, I sent for my assistant. Together, we went to the huge map of the district which hung from a wall of my office and checked the last reported position of the ants. Last night, they had reached here, about 70 miles above this fork in the river. Traveling southeast? Uh, yes. Directly toward Leinenshaw. Toward uh, whom, sir? That plantation at the bend in the river belongs to a man named Leinenshaw. When would you say the ants will reach there? Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I imagine about... Uh, Tomorrow noon. Tomorrow noon. Still time. Uh, still uh, time? Uh, what do you mean, sir? Why? Why nothing. But what did I mean? Still time for what? For Lanagan to flee or still time for me to... Even as I rejected the thought with horror, I knew that the fascination of that man was more than I could resist. That Lanagan's fight was drawing me back toward that plantation and death. I knew now past all doubt that I was going back. I had to. It was 10 o'clock in the morning when I rounded the bend and saw Lanningen's plantation before me. I put in at the dock and tied up the launch. Then I saw him standing on the bank above me, arms folded, stubby cigar in his mouth, and that same smug grin on his face. I made my way up to him. Ah, back with another warning, Commissioner? No. Back to stay a while? Yes. <laughs> you don't seem surprised. No, I'm not. You expected me? I thought you'd be back. Yeah, come along, we'll get some horses. You'll want to ride around the plantation, take a look at the defenses I've rigged up. Yes, I'll want to see the defenses. And the ants. We'll be getting a glimpse of them before long, I should think. Yes, the ants. The defenses Lanningen had devised were quite impressive. Surrounding three sides of the plantation like a huge horseshoe was a ditch, 12 feet wide. The ends of this horseshoe-shaped ditch ran into the river which formed the fourth side of the plantation. And at the upriver entrance to the ditch, Lanningen had constructed a dam by which the river water could be diverted into the ditch. A large handwheel controlled the floodgate of the dam, and apparently Lanningen had ordered it open immediately after my arrival. For as we now approached the ditch and rode along it, I could see that it was nearly full. Ah. How do you like my first line of defense, Commissioner? It's reassuring, like a moat around a castle. <laughs> Unless the ants know how to build rafts, they won't reach the plantation. But this is only the outer moat. There's a better one than this. Now, come along. We'll go up to the high ground where the buildings are. We can get a view from there. Leinenchen. Huh? I didn't see any women or children around the plantation or any animals. Yes, that's right. Moved them across the river. Then even you think there is danger. Not because of danger, Commissioner. Matter of efficiency. 
Efficiency? Yeah, it cuts down on the efficiency of the men if they're worried about their families. Critical situations only become crises when oxen and women get excited. I see. Ah, here we are. Yeah, see the ditch? It's much smaller than the others. Yes, you've noticed how all the buildings are on this piece of high ground. The inner ditch surrounds them, and it's lined with concrete. But even filled with water, this is no barrier. It's not big enough. Why, if the ants get this far, they'll... They'll get no farther. This ditch wasn't built for water, Commissioner. You see the pipes leading into it? See those storage tanks on the hill? Petrol. We can throw up a wall of flame. Care a bit they won't like that? I hope you're right. Lannigan, look. Over at the edge of the jungle, all those animals. Yes. Running like the wind. Everything from jaguars to monkeys. Good heavens. Remember, they don't have any ditches. But can they escape? Now, they'll be all right as long as they don't get caught between the river and the ants. They can outrun the crawlers. But if they get trapped, it's either the ants or the crocodiles. Ah, uh, look, look. Up there over the horizon. There are your ants. Look at them. It was a sight I will never forget. Over the range of hills, as far as I could see, crept a darkening hem, ever longer and broader until the shadows spread across the entire slope, then downward, downward, uncannily swift, and all the green herbage on the entire slope was being mowed as by a giant sickle, leaving only the vast moving shadow extending, deepening, and always moving nearer. Yeah, they're a hideous lot. Lannigan, we can't last against that. Look at them. Why, they will fill your ditches with their corpses and still have enough to destroy every one of us. We've got to run. Well, I... I... No, they haven't gotten to us yet, and they never will. The hostile army was approaching in perfect formation. No human battalions, however well-drilled, could ever hope to rival the precision of that advance. Along a front that moved forward as uniformly as a straight line, the ants drew nearer and nearer to the water ditch. As they approached, two outlying wings of the army detached themselves from the main body and started marching along the sides of the ditch, no doubt expecting at some point to find a crossing. And during this hour-long flanking movement, the main army remained still. Across the scant 12 feet of ditch, I stared at them, and they stared back at me. Solid mass, everyone as big as my thumb with reddish-black body and long legs. Suddenly, a sound so unearthly as to freeze our blood jerked our heads in the direction of the jungle on the far side of the ditch. Coming toward the ditch at a stumbling gallop was a singular being, a writhing animal-like blackened statue with a shapeless head and four quivering feet. It was a stag covered over and over with ants. Lannigan threw up his rifle, and the stag fell lifeless to the ground, its agonies at an end. Horrified as I was, my curiosity impelled me to glance at my watch. I had to know how long the ants would take. Six long minutes, only the white, polished bones of the stag remained. 
Now I could see a change in Lanigan. Gone was the sporting zest of the novel contest. In its place was a cold, violent purpose. He had to beat the ants because he now knew how long it would take them once they got to us. Around four in the afternoon, the ant scouts, having found no crossing, there was a stirring among the main army. And then an immense flood of ants about a hundred yards in width commenced pouring in a glimmering black cataract down the flower slope of the ditch. Thousands drowned instantly, but the rest began using the bodies as bridges. Lanagan immediately swung into action. The dam, open the floodgate a little more. We've got to get the water in the ditch moving faster. Si, senor. Look at them drown. But they keep coming. Even though the current carries many of them away, they're advancing. Well, we'll fix them. Blast! Yes, senor. How about those shovels and petrol sprinklers? You pass them out to the men? Yes, sir. It has been done. Then get all hands here in a hurry. This looks like the spot for action. Commissioner. Yes? Beginning to see what I was talking about? What do you mean? About intelligence being more than a match for anything it tackles. Take the ants. They've got no intelligence. If they had, they'd have attacked along the whole length of the ditch instead of a narrow front like this. They'd have been across by now. <laughs> Too bad I'm not running their campaign for them. You can joke about it like that with ants halfway across the All right, man. Busy with the shovels now. Dump some sand and quads on them. See how they like that. You with the petrol sprinklers. Stop puffing. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't like it, Commissioner. They don't like it a bit. Look at them. Yes, but look at the ones on the far side of the ditch. Whole clumps of them rolling into the water. The rest are using them for bridges. Yes. Smarter than I thought. And they're widening their front, too. Some of them are getting across. Uh, grab a shovel, then, Commissioner. Make them regret it. <laughs> What's the matter? Let them go my shovel, Senor. Let on my eyes. Enter the petrol, idiot. Dash your hands on the petrol. Don't stop now. The rest of you, club them. Club them. We cannot hold it back, Senor. We must run. Keep at it. Keep at it. Don't stop now. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, the water's moving faster. And you got the floodgates open. Yes. They can't hold their own against the current now. Uh, look at them, Commissioner. The water's carrying them away. We've beat them. We've won out. It was true. Leiningen had won. At least the opening round. The floodgates were left open to forestall any night crossing. But when dawn came, the dark blanket was still there, motionless across the ditch. Then we noticed a feverish activity on the other side of the plantation. Here, a grove of tamarind trees lined the far end of the ditch, and every tree swarmed with the crawling insects. But instead of eating the leaves, they were merely gnawing through the stems so that a thick green shower fell steadily to the ground. Well, it looks as if it's feeding time for our friends, eh? Blas. Senor... Have all the petrol pumps brought here. Get everyone over here except the lookouts on the other side. Then pass out the shovels. Uh, si, senor. Going to deprive them of a meal? A meal? Aren't they cutting down the leaves for food? No. I wish they were. Looks like I underestimated them when I said they didn't have intelligence. What do you mean? I said if they wanted to get across, they'd have to have rafts. And that's just what they've got. Those leaves are their rafts. 
Even as he spoke, the leaves went tumbling down the far bank by the thousands. The current drew them away from the bank, and each leaf carried several ants. Don't worry, as long as you can keep spraying them and shoveling dirt on their rafts, they can't land. But there will be too many. It's true. Look, more leaves in the ditch all the time. Why, they'll have a solid carpet to walk across in a minute. Uh, not so fast, Commissioner. I've still got a trick up my sleeve for them. The water! The ditch is drying up! Yes, yes, of course it's drying up. That's the plan. Those are the orders I sent to the dam. Are you mad? As soon as it's empty, what's to prevent the... Look, the water's way down. It's almost dry. They'll be able to come across the bottom. They'll not make it. The man at the dam will have opened the gates by now. To flood the ants? Right. But what a chance to take. If anything should happen... (laughs) Ah, Here it comes. Here comes the water. Yes, we'll give the crawlers a ditch to ride in. Right out to the river. There. (laughs) Look at them go. Lyman's tactics were successful at first. The violent flow of water at the original depth raced through the ditch, overwhelming leaves and ants and sweeping them along. Three times the ditch was emptied. Three times the ants raced across its bottom and three times the rushing water arriving just in time carried them away. But the fourth time, as the water lowered nearly to the bottom of the ditch, we waited in vain for the rushing waters and then... What's the matter? What's gone wrong at the dam? Just as the man at the dam lowered the water almost to the bottom, the ants attacked. Before he could open the floodgate, he was almost surrounded. He ran. The ants kept coming. They are across the ditch. Lyminson stood motionless, absorbing the news of his defeat without a word. Then he raised his pistol and fired three shots into the air. The prearranged signal for all the men to retreat instantly to the second line of defense... The concrete ditches more than a mile from the point of the invasion. Soon after we arrived there, the natives commenced straggling in silently. Lanningen waited until all of them had gathered, then he spoke to them. Well, lads, we won the first round and lost the second, but we'll smash the crawlers yet. Anyone who thinks otherwise can draw his pay and push off. There are rafts enough on the river and plenty of time still to reach them. You stay then. Good. Thank you, lads. And you, Commissioner? I... I can't persuade you to give up the fight? You cannot. Then I stay, too. Yeah. I knew you would. Senor! Senor! If you are the ants of the Ditch... They are trying to get across? No, Senor. I didn't think they would. There's plenty of food out there for them. My fields and orchards, the work of three years. Ought to last them until morning, anyway. <laughs> Yes, we were safe for that night. But the next morning, the black swarm was solid around us and their shock troops were hard at work. They were dropping shreds of bark and twigs and leaves into the petrol-filled ditches, forming a floating bridge across the surface of the liquid. Lanningen stood silently watching this operation and I could see a grudging admiration in his face. Then, after several hours, the attack came. Down the ditch they poured millions of them and across the bridge of twigs rapidly approaching the inner side. Lanagen sat motionless watching them. Watching them. Lanagen, for the love of God, don't sit there like a statue. They'll be on us in a moment. Let them fill the ditch first. Ah. Now. All right. Everyone back. Floss. Hand me the torch. Now we'll see how our friends like a little heat. 
flames from the ditch shot into the air, devouring ants by the millions. It was some time before the petrol burned down to the bed of the ditch, but when it did, the devils came back for more. Again, Lannigan fired the ditch to destroy them. And still again they came on, but at each successive firing, the task of the ants grew easier because of the film of ash which now covered the petrol. And as they returned to the assault time after time, a slow, sickening horror crept into my mind. I looked quickly at Lannigan, then at the petrol tanks. He read my gaze and nodded slowly. That's right, Commissioner. We could hold them off forever if our supply of petrol was unlimited. But it isn't. We've got enough to... Fill the ditch once more. Lanagen, isn't there any way, any way at all? We've got to do something. I we know, can't... I know. There must be a way. There must be. Yes. Yes. What is it? We'll flood the whole plantation. Flood? But how? The river's higher than any point except this high ground we're on now. If the river was dammed all the way, it'd overflow that stone breakwater and flood the whole plantation. We've got to close the floodgate at the dam. That'll do it. You're mad. The dam is more than a mile away, more than a mile Lads, away. Lads, listen to me. Listen, lads, I'm proud of you. Now, there's still a chance. By shutting the floodgates on the dam and flooding the whole plantation from the river, the moment I'm over the ditch, set fire to it. That'll allow time for the flood to wash away the ants. Then all you'll have to do is wait for me. It's impossible. You can't get to the dam, let alone back. That's why you're wrong, Commissioner. I'll get there, and I'll get back. Take care of things while I'm gone, huh? I watched him as he calmly pulled on high leather boots, drew gauntlets over his hand and stuffed the spaces between breeches and boots, gauntlets and arms, with petrol-soaked rags. He shielded his eyes with close-fitting mosquito goggles and plugged his nostrils and ears with cotton. Then the natives drenched his clothes with petrol. Blas, who acted as doctor to the men, smeared a salve over him, and finally Lannington was ready. As he stood calmly surveying... ready for the run, I realized that this is as it should be. I, Linogen, would meet the ants and defeat them, or be defeated by them. <laughs> Linogen versus the ants. Yes, it was right that it should be like this. But now there was no more time for thought, only action. I took a deep breath and then bounded across the ditch and among the ants. I ran... I ran in long, equal strides with one thought, one sensation in my being. I must get through. I dodged the trees and shrubs. Except for the split seconds my soles touched the ground, the ants would have no opportunity to alight on me. I ran on. I was halfway to the dam before I felt ants under my clothes and a few on my face. I struck on them mechanically, scarcely conscious of their bites. And the dam drew toward me slowly. And the distance grew less, less... Finally, only a hundred yards away. Fifty. Then I was there. I gripped the ant-covered wheel, but... <laughs> oddly, had I seized it when a horde of ants flowed over my hands and arms. I strained, and slowly the wheel turned. And turned more. The floodgate was swinging slowly shut. Then it was shut. And the water was rising rising behind the breakwater. Closer to the top. Closer. And then it was spilling over. Flooding of the plantation had begun. I let go of the wheel and started back through the ants. I was coated from head to foot with the fiends. Tongues of fire stabbed at me as they bit into my flesh. 
I almost lost my head with the pain as I ran, knocking ants from my body, brushing them from my bloody face. And that one bit me just below the rim of my goggles. I managed to tear him away. But the agony of the bite and its venom drilled into the eye nerves. I saw now through circles of fire into a milky mist. I was almost blinded. But I knew that if I tripped and fell, I ran on. My heart pounding as if it would burst. Blood roaring in my ears, a giant's fist battering my lungs. And then I could see dimly that wall of flame at the ditch, but it was too far away. I could not last half that distance. I stumbled and fell. Felt myself being swarmed over, devoured. Tried to rise. A great weight. And then suddenly the vision of the half-devoured stag in my brain. Six minutes, then nothing but bones. I couldn't let that happen to me. I couldn't die like that. To my feet. My feet. Drag myself forward. Draw the flame. The ditch. The ring of flame. Closer now. Only a little closer. It seemed we had waited for hours when all at once through the blazing ring around us an apparition hurtled and fell full length on the ground. It was Leiningen, alive with ants, unconscious, with glazing eyes and lacerated face. We rushed to him, stripped off his clothes and tore at the ants that covered him. His body seemed almost one open wound. In one place I could see a white bone. Later, as the curtain of flame lowered, I looked out where the blanket of ants had been and saw only a vast expanse of water, covering the entire plantation and working its way to within a few feet of the concrete ditch. The ants were gone, drowned, and Leiningen had won. He lay on his bed, his body swathed from head to foot with bandages, but alive and still in command. Everything in order? Everything's in order. I told you I'd come back. Uh-huh. Even if I am a bit streamlined. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight brought you Leiningen vs. the Ants by Carl Stevenson. Adapted for radio by Robert Reif, with William Conrad as Leiningen and Lou Merrill as the commissioner. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are groping through a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans, with terror driving you on. And always before your eyes is the malevolent stare of a voodoo man striking you with a deadly curse from which you must escape.
Next week, we escape with William Irish's eerie story of a voodoo-haunted band leader, Papa Benjamin. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when we again offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You just listened to Leiningen vs. the Ants from the radio show Escape, as originally aired on January 14, 1948. Next up is The Birds, which also aired on Escape, July 10, 1954. The Birds is based on a 1952 story by British author Daphne du Maurier. It was unusual for such a contemporary story to be adapted for this program, which mostly relied on original scripts or more established authors. The stars of this production are Ben Wright and Virginia Gregg. Wright later had a very prolific career as an actor in movies and television. His most notable role was appearing as the Nazi officer Herzella in The Sound of Music. He appeared as a guest star in a wide variety of television shows over many years, including roles on Hogan's Heroes, Bonanza, The Twilight Zone, The Addams Family, and Perry Mason. He also lent his voice to animated characters in a few Disney films, including his final role before his death, voicing Grimsby in The Little Mermaid. Virginia Gregg, the female lead in this production, started her radio career as a musician before becoming a much-loved dramatic actress, featured in over a dozen radio shows. She went on to appear in more than 40 Hollywood films and was a prolific character actress that worked on dozens of television shows with her most significant roles performed on The Waltons and Dragnet. As you probably know, The Birds was famously adapted into a feature film in 1963 by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Tippi Hedren, Rod Taylor, and Susan Plachette. It remains a culturally significant film almost 50 years later, and is part of the United States Library of Congress National Film Registry. So, here's The Birds as heard on Escape in July of 1954. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are in a farmhouse on the southern coast of England, the autumn countryside around you desolate and bleak. And you know that in the dusk outside, waiting patiently for you, silently watching for you, is an enemy from whom there may be no escape. Listen now as Escape brings you Daphne du Maurier's story, The Bird.
On December the 3rd, the wind changed overnight, and it was winter. Until then, the autumn had been mellow, soft. The earth was rich where the plow had turned it. I didn't do the plowing, no. My wartime disability had seen to that. They gave me mostly the lighter repair jobs to do in the three days a week that I worked at the farm. A bank to build up or a gate to mend at the far end of the peninsula where the sea surrounded the farmland on either side. Deborah and I had taken a cottage up here to try again for the sake of the children. And it seemed to be working fairly well. I enjoyed my work on the farm. It was pleasant to pause at midday to eat the lunch that Debbie prepared and brought to me. We'd sit there on the cliff while I ate and we'd watch the birds. There are many of them, Matt. Yes. Well, the autumn's better than spring for watching them. Oh, why? Oh, well, in the spring, they're content, they're full of purpose, they know where they're going, there's no delay. But then in autumn, it's different. The birds that don't migrate seem to follow a, a pattern of their own. Pattern? Hmm. Great flocks of them here on the peninsula. Restless, uneasy, wheeling, circling, coming to rest, and flying again. The land birds and the gulls down there in the bay. Strange sort of rhythm in their movements. They don't really go anywhere. Doesn't seem to be any purpose to it. No. Well, if there is, we don't see it. There's restlessness. And they're more restless this year than usual, it seems to me. Do you know this morning two gulls flew so close they knocked off my cap? Just like yesterday when the school bus let her off, there was quite a few of them overhead as if they'd been following. Oh, well, I suppose it means a hard winter. They always seem to know. Perhaps a message comes to them in autumn. A warning. About winter. And about death. Nat. Many of them will die, and I think they know it. Perhaps they feel they have to spill their motion out before they die. Like people who know their time is up and run about stupidly driving themselves. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Nat. That, that black side of you that stirred up the trouble between us before. Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie. But it, it's come over me lately as I've watched them. The land birds mingling with the seabirds in a sort of strange, unnatural partnership. Land and sea. Life and death. That night it turned colder and the wind strengthened. Around two in the morning, the sound of it beating against the house woke me up. I lay there with this slow, even breathing of Debbie beside me, and I thought of Jill and Johnny in the room across the hall. We seemed safe, secure. And then I heard it, a tapping on the window. At first I thought it was a loose shutter, and then I realized it wasn't. I... Got out of bed, went to the window, opened it. Suddenly, something brushed against my hand and jabbed my knuckles, and then was gone over the roof and behind the cottage. Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, it's all right, Debbie. It was a bird. I don't know what kind. Bird. Hmm. Wind must have driven it against the window sill. My hand's wet. It's blood. Hmm? A little beggar drew blood. 
little sleep, Matt. Uh, must have been frightened and stabbed at me in the dark. Well, for the... Matt, the window seat you are distracting. Well, I've already seen to it. It's some bird trying to get in. Send them away. I can't sleep with that noise. All right. All right. see that? There were half a dozen this time. They, they went for me. They tried to peck my eyes. Oh, yet. I'm not making it up there. Huh? What? It's Jill. Go see what's the matter. Right. Oh, Coming, Jill. He keeps flying at me. Where's Johnny? Uh, uh, just flying at What's the matter? Quick, get the children out of here. Birds. The room's up. And my face. Get the children out of here and shut the door. Quick. I pushed them out of the room. And now I was alone with the birds. I seized the blanket, and I used it as a weapon, sweeping it right and left. And I could hear the thud of bodies, but they kept coming at me. They jabbing my hands, my head, trying for my eyes with beaks as sharp as pointed forks. And I wrapped the blanket around my head, beat about with my bare hands, blindly. I don't know how long I fought them. And finally, the beating of wings lessened. And then, I still... I unwrapped the blanket from my face. The cold gray dawn had seeped into the room. The floor was littered with the tiny corpses of the birds. Robins, finches, sparrows, larks. Some had lost feathers in the fight. The others had blood. My blood on their beaks. Sickened, I went to the window. And the fierce sea broke harshly in the day. But there was not a bird in sight... Not a sparrow chattered in the hedge. No early thrush or blackbird pecked on the grass for worms. There was no sound at all but the east wind and the sea. Matt? Uh, I'm all right, Debbie. Oh, I didn't know what... Oh, you're covered with blood. Some of it's the birds. Look on the floor. Oh. oh so many of them. Yeah. Fifty. I counted them. It's horrible. Come on, darling. I'll clean the room later when I have more stomach for it. Must have been ghastly for me. Are the you. children all right? Yes, I've put Jill to work making tea. Johnny's in our bed just now asleep. Matt, why? The birds? Well, it must be the weather. The sudden change confused them. It has to be that. The tea's ready, Mummy. Oh, good. Did you drive away the birds? Yes, they're all gone now, Jill. I hope they won't come again. Perhaps if we put breadcrumbs for them outside the window, they'll eat that and fly away. Perhaps, dear. I've already had breakfast. I'd better hurry or I'll be late for the school bus. Bus? Uh, oh, uh, I'll walk with you to the road, Jill. Yes, I think that'd be a good idea. I'll go get my coat and book. I didn't want her to walk alone. Nat, they... They wouldn't come back again. Well, I... I'll go over to the farm and find out if they heard anything during the night. You keep all the windows and doors closed, Debbie, just to be on the safe side, hmm? Hello? Anyone about? Hello, 
Mr. Hawkins. Was the mystery around Mrs. Trigg? Uh, summer is about, but can you tell me where this cold is coming from? Russia? I've never seen such a change, and it's going on, the wireless says. Something to do with the Arctic Circle. Ah, uh, we didn't turn on the wireless this morning. Uh, <clears throat> fact is, we had uh, trouble in the night. Oh, kiddies poorly. No, no not exactly, no. We, we uh, had some trouble with birds. I, uh... Why, it sounds absurd, but they flew in the window and attacked us. Attacked you? Now, Mr. Hawkins... No, I'm not making it up, Mrs. Trigg. There are 50 dead birds on the floor of the children's bedroom. Mm, foreign birds. No. No, the kind you see about here every day. Really? Well, you ought to write up and ask the Manchester Guardian. They'd have an answer for it. Hey, morning, Hawkins. Uh, Mr. Trigg. Mr. Hawkins has been telling about some birds last night. Oh. They, uh, he says they attacked him. Attacked? Mm. Are you sure? Quite. Yeah. Never heard of a thing like that before. Hungry, maybe. Looking for food. Hmm. Y- you put out some crumbs. Yes, of course. I'll be up tomorrow as usual. Good morning. Hmm. Ordinary birds, he says. Attacked him. Now, what does he take us for, coming around with a story like that? He's a strange one, he is, with those superior airs. You see the look he gave us when we didn't swallow his story? Attacked him. I think he reads too many of those books. Nat, did you find out anything at the farm? No. The Trigg's brilliant advice was to put out some crumbs. Debbie, I looked all around this morning. There's not a single bird in sight outdoors. Where could they have gone? I don't know. And the Triggs had no trouble last night. Not only that, they clearly thought I was imagining it. Oh, I heard Trigg mutter something about my superior airs and reading too many books as I walked away. Nothing's real to those clods until it hits them over the head. Well, they're nice enough people, Ned. It's just that they're isolated up here. Well, that's certainly the polite word for it. I haven't been able to face going to the children's room. The birds... Oh, yes, I'll go and clean it up. I suppose the least I can do is give the little beggars a decent burial. I dropped the dead birds into a sack, went down to the beach to bury them. The wind was bitter cold. I dug a pit in the sand with my heel and started to empty the sack into it, but... The wind caught the birds and whirled them along the shore. There was something ugly in the sight. That the tide would take them when it turned. I looked out at the crested breakers. And then I saw them. The gulls. Out there, riding the seas. Thousands. Tens of thousands. They rose and fell in the trough of the sea like a mighty fleet at anchor waiting for the turn of the tide. Waiting. They stretched as far as my eye could reach. They covered the sea. I started up the steep path home, almost running. Someone should know of this. Someone should be told. But who? And then as I opened the front door, I saw Debbie beside the wireless listening. Damage and even attacking individuals. It is thought that the Arctic airstream is causing the birds to migrate south in immense numbers. 
and that intense hunger may drive them to attack human beings. Householders are warned to see to their windows, doors, and chimneys, and to take all precautions for the safety of their children. Further bulletins will be issued later. They've been repeating it every few minutes since you left. Well, perhaps now those empty-headed idiots at the farm will know that I was... You sound almost... Oh, don't talk rot, Debbie. It's just that when people with half a brain try to tell me that I... Can't you forget that superior attitude of yours, even now? Don't use that word superior to me. I'm sick of it. So am I, Nat. So am I. You... Oh, I... uh, I'm sorry, dear. This thing has made me a little nervy, I guess. Yes, I... I'm sorry, too, my dear. Nat, one of the bulletins said the birds seemed to be waiting. For what? I don't know. They said the birds are hungry. What are you doing? Oh, the hammer. I'm going to get some boards and see to the doors and windows as they tell you to. You think they could break in with the windows shut, those sparrows and robins and such? How could they? I wasn't thinking about the smaller birds. I was thinking about the gulls. The gulls? Debbie... Have you ever been close enough to get a good look at a gull's beak? There must be a hundred thousand of them out there, riding the sea, waiting. The rest of the morning, I worked upstairs, boarding the bedroom windows. And I wondered whether they'd take these precautions up at the farm. I doubted it. It'd probably be a big joke to the Triggs. But according to the wireless, it was no joke. At first, some of the bulletins had been light in tone. But as the morning wore on, the concern in the announcer's voice became more and more apparent. Well, after I'd finished upstairs, I took the rest of the lumber down, boarded up the lower floor windows. What they ought to do is call the army out and shoot the birds. That would soon scare them off. Debbie, uh, uh, how are we off for food? Now, Nat, whatever next. Now, never mind. What have you got in the larder? Shopping day tomorrow, you know that. I don't keep uncooked food hanging about. It goes off. But I can put some things in tomorrow. Tomorrow? It's only three in the afternoon, and it's almost dark. What? Why, yes. The sky... Looks so heavy. Nat, what's the matter? You've gone quite white. Look. The tide's turned. The gulls. They've risen. Circling over the sea. Not a sound from them. Nat. I'm going for Jill. I'll wait for her at the bus stop. You keep Johnny inside and keep the door shut. Outside, I looked for a weapon, and a hoe was all I could find. And I went to the top of the hill and waited. The surf was booming below, and a smudge rose behind the clay hills in the distance. It widened, divided, and spread north, east, south, west. It was a vast cloud of birds. It passed close by, heading inland, upcountry. They had no business with the people here on the peninsula. Rooks, crows, jackdaws, magpies, birds that usually preyed upon the smaller species. But this afternoon they were bound on some other mission. 
They've been given the towns, I thought. They know what they have to do. We don't matter so much here. The gulls will serve for us. The others go to the towns. And finally the bus came. When Jill got up, I took her by the hand. What's the home for, Daddy? Oh, I just brought it along. Come along now, darling. Let's go home. It's cold. No hanging about. Hmm? I want to play a bit in the rain. Not tonight. Now, come on. No dawdling. Look, Daddy. Look over there. Look at the gulls. They're flying in from the sea. They're so quiet. Yes, uh, do hurry, darling. Where are they flying to? Oh, up country, I dare say, where, where it's warmer. Don't go so fast. I can't keep up. Hurry. The gulls, it... Circling. It looks like they're waiting for something. Yeah, for a signal, an order. What? Nothing. Come on, dear. Faster. But I can't go faster. Uh, wait, wait. There's Trig in his two-seater. Well, it looks as though we're in for some fun, Hawking. Have you heard the news? Everyone's gone bird crazy, talking of nothing else. I'm going to take a crack at them with my gun. Uh, could you run Jill home first? Oh, yes, of course. Not room for you, too, I'm afraid. Oh, that's all right. Just get Jill home. Get in, Julia. You like to come shooting with me? No, thanks. Have you boarded your windows? No. A lot of nonsense. They like to scare you on the wireless. I'd board them if I were you. Oh, go on. You're windy. Well, see you in the morning. I'll give you a gull breakfast. I watched Trigg drive Jill toward the cottage, and then I followed on foot. The sound made me look up. The gulls were approaching. The order had been given, and the farm was their target. The black-backed gulls were leading, and there were bigger birds. Gannets. Terns. And suddenly one of them dove at me, missed, rose to drive again, and then came the other, six, seven, a dozen. I dropped the hole, covered my head with my arms, and ran towards the cottage. They kept coming at me from the air with beating wings. Each stab of a swooping beak tore my flesh. I had to keep them from my eyes. And with each dive, they became bolder. And they had no thought for themselves. When they missed, they crashed, bruised and broken on the ground. And as I ran, I stumbled, kicking their spent bodies in front of me. Now their aim got better. Closer to my eyes. Closer. And then I reached the door of the cottage. Let me in! Snap! Let me in! And then, above me, I saw the gannet poised against the sky for his dive. The gulls drew back, only the huge gannet. The wings folded suddenly to its body, and it dropped like a stone at me. The door opened, and I flung myself in. It's Lord! What was that? A gannet. He'd have split my skull. Now. Yes, thanks. You're, you're quite the wound dresser. Are the children? In the other room, I didn't want them to see you that way. No. Your hands are the worst. I'll be all right. We'd uh, better all sleep here in the kitchen tonight. I'll bring down the mattresses. All right. I'll pick something tasty for supper and wasn't prepared. Wait. Yes. That sound. What is it? The birds crowding against the outside of the house. They're trying to find a way in. Nat! No, they, they can't get in. I tell you, they cannot get in. The boards will hold. For how long? How long? Stop before... it! Here. I'll turn on the wireless. That'll drown them out. Here. 
That's better. Yes. Anything so I can't hear that horrible rustle. It's only the food that worries me, Debbie. Now, I've noticed that the birds come in with the tide, but the tide will go out about nine tonight, and we should have a lull of about six hours. I could slip out during that time and go to the farm, see if they can give us something. Here's London. A national emergency was proclaimed at four o'clock this afternoon. Yes. Measures are being taken to safeguard the lives and property of the population, but it must be understood that these are not easy to affect immediately. Due to the unforeseen and unparalleled nature of the present crisis, it is absolutely imperative that everyone remain indoors until further notice. The birds, in vast numbers, are attacking everything in sight. The population is asked to remain calm and not to panic. There will be no further transmission from any broadcasting station until 7 a.m. tomorrow. It's like this all over, then. All over. Debbie, about supper, let's... Let's forget it. Let's all just try to get some sleep. Nat, mm-hmm. wake up. Mm-hmm. Nat, mm-hmm. they're back again. But I... What time is it? A little after three. Ah, the tide's come in again. There's been a queer smell the last few minutes. Rather like burned feathers. What? Burned feathers? The chimney. I forgot to keep the fire up. They're coming down the chimney. No. Where's the oil? On the shelf. There they are. Look, squeezing through the chimney. Stand back. They're going to throw the oil on the coal. That'll get them. Dad. Dad, I can't stand it. Get me paper, wood, anything it'll burn. Hurry. Their charred bodies kept dropping down the chimney. I raked them to one side, but more came. I threw on the rest of the oil. We found papers on it, kindling, anything. The flames roared higher. More bodies. The stench was unbearable. I kept at it. Finally, they gave up. And I went over to the basin. I was sick. Around nine in the morning, the rustling ceased. I opened the door a crack. Crushed birds were deep about the house, but there was not a living bird in sight. The tide had gone out. Now was my chance to get food and fuel. I ran all the way to the farm. There was no smoke from the chimney. I came round the corner of the house and stopped in the doorway almost covered with dead birds, were Mr. and Mrs. Trigg. What was left of them? Beside him was his gun. Beside her, a broken umbrella. I loaded the two-seater with all the food I could find, enough for perhaps three days, and drove back to the cottage. I told Debbie that Triggs didn't need their car for a while and had told me to take it. She said nothing. And towards nightfall, the birds came back again. We sat by the fire and listened to the rustle as they crowded against the house. But this time there was a new sound. 
They'd brought up their heavier forces against us, the birds with larger beaks. I could hear the sound of tiny bits of wood being torn away. They'll stay till the tide turns. Then they'll leave. Then they'll come back again. They'll keep coming back. Nat. Yes? The trigs. They're dead, aren't they? Yes. We're all alone. Strange. I keep closer to you than, than I've ever. And it should take something like this to bring us. Debbie, you, you may be interested to know that right now, I do not feel very superior. Don't, Nat. I don't know, Debbie. I do not know. I listened to the sound of the splintering wood. And I wondered how many million years of memory were stored in those little brains behind the stabbing beaks, the piercing eyes. Now giving them this instinct to destroy mankind with all the depth precision of machines. And switched on the wireless. Was dead. I reached for the cigarettes. There was only one left in the packet. I lit it. I threw the empty packet on the fire and watched it burn. <laughs> Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Birds by Daphne du Maurier, specially adapted for radio by Robert Wright, starring Ben Wright with Virginia Gregg. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Ann Morrison, Ann Whitfield, and John Dodsworth. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. <laughs> That will wrap up this episode of The Twilight Beacon. You heard Leiningen versus the Ants from the January 14, 1948 broadcast of Escape and The Birds from the July 10, 1954 airing of Escape. The Twilight Beacon will return this Friday night, October 8th, with our first Sci Friday program. Each Friday during the October run of this show, we'll feature tales of terror with a science fiction theme. This week's Sci Friday presentation brings you a pair of stories with science experiments gone very wrong. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October. 
and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.